Okay. Okay. You recording? Yes. Okay. Good day, everyone. <clears throat> the uh, Jewish attitude, the uh, Torah attitude towards wealth is that it is both a positive and negative thing, depending on how the person who has the wealth or wants to acquire the wealth uh, deals with the situation. So we have in the Torah, in the Gomorrah, for instance, that Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rebbe, Rabbi Yudu HaNossi, who was the uh, editor of the Mishnah and one of the uh, pillars of the Jewish world throughout eternity, was a very wealthy man. The Umar says, Torah Gedula B'Mokom Echot. Great knowledge of Torah and great wealth and possessions existed in one place, in one person, in Rebbe. And the Talmud even tells us that Rebbe was uh, equal to uh, the Roman emperor in the uh, foods that he had available for himself. So that even at a time when there was no refrigeration, etc., uh, he had uh, fresh food every day, fresh vegetables every day. So that's a very positive view of wealth. And the Gemara says that Rebbe Mechabed Ashirim, Rebbe gave great honor to wealthy people because he felt that the Lord endowed them with that gift. And therefore, they were worthy of honor and respect. Hello? Uh, you'll have to call me back. I'm now Zoom now, okay? Sorry. My granddaughter, great-granddaughter got named today. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Rebbe respected wealthy people because he felt that wealthy people had opportunities to do great things, to accomplish great things. So that's one side of the coin. That's the positive side of the coin. And uh, we find that uh, in all of our prayers and in our mindset, uh, we do not uh, want to be poverty-stricken. We don't want to be poor. Uh, we want that the Lord should grant us uh, prosperity. And then there's the other hand. There always is this balance in life, certainly in Jewish life. The Posigankahelis. Shlomo Melech, who was a man of great wealth, he was the king, he possessed everything that he wanted to have. 
So he said, Roisi Dova Roa Tachas Hashemesh. I saw in this world under the sun that uh, there is a negative thing, a Dova Roa, something that's bad. Osher Shomu Roa Labalov, that wealth brings bad events to those who have. So on one hand, we have this enormously positive view of wealth, of Torah Gedula Mamokam Echod, of Rebbe Mechabit Ashirim, and on the other hand, we have Osher Shomer Olamolov. So uh, the Torah uh, poses this to us as uh, one of the issues. It's almost a conundrum in life. Now, uh, I think the uh, problem can be illustrated in the famous story of the Chofetz Chaim, who met a Jew on the street that he knew, and he asked him, uh, you know, uh, how are things? And the man answered him, he said, Rebbe, it wouldn't hurt if I had another uh, hundred thousand zlotas, whatever. And the Chofetz Chaim said, how do you know it wouldn't hurt you? Because the Chofetz Chaim realized that there are people who when they make a certain amount of money are decent, good people. And that when they are blessed with sudden wealth, they become someone else. We see that with uh, lottery winners. There's a great uh, study about the fact that the most people who win a lot of money in the lottery then have terrible lives. Because they simply can't handle it. And uh, it's true with athletes who uh, make enormous amounts of money for the few years that they are able to perform, and then the rest of their life is dissolute and many times even poverty-stricken. So uh, this issue is reflected in the parshas of the Torah, especially here in the Chumash Bamidbor. There's a pattern here. Let's start first with Korach. In Yiddish, uh, there was uh, a folk saying, Reich vi Korach. He's as wealthy as Korach. It's based on a Gemara that Korach discovered the keys to the wealth that Yosef had stored in Egypt. Yosef had collected all the money in the world, all the wealth in the world, and it was stored somewhere. And that Korach somehow found the key and he was able to take it. So Korach is a very, very wealthy man. But Korach becomes the epitome, the example of Osher Shomur Ro'alebolov. That the wealth turned out to be a curse for him because 
he uh, he says, uh, you know, if, if I'm Bill Gates, then why am I not entitled to be the head of everything? Why am I not entitled to uh, have my opinion followed? Why shouldn't I be the ruler? Why should Moshe be the ruler? And uh, that was a fatal mistake. It says by Korach that when the earth uh, opened and uh, swallowed them all, so it says, Strange phrase in the Torah, Yikum. So Rashi immediately comments, that was their wealth. Shemamid Odomaraglov, that makes a person stand erect, that gives him status and stature, that makes him think he's a great person. And uh, that was Korach's undoing. If the Korach would not have had that great wealth, he perhaps never would have challenged Moshe and we would not have had the whole incident and he would have saved himself a lot of grief. But that's the example of Osher Shomuro Lebolov because of the fact that the wealth destroyed him. Now we have uh, in the Chumash and the other Parsha, we have Bilam. Bilam, uh, the more famous Gemara that we all know, Lo Kumbi Yisrael, Kemosha Od, the Jewish people didn't have a Novi like Moshe again, but Umus Olam Kum, but the nations of the world did have a person with that potential. And who was that? That was Bilam. But Bilam is driven by his greed. Bolok has to pay for me to fill the house with gold and silver. Bilam is uh, a gun for hire. Money is the main thing. So even though it's obvious that God does not want him to go, tells him, so to speak, I will not allow you to curse the Jewish people. So your mission is futile. He goes anyway. Because his avarice, his greed, his drive for wealth is such that even a talking donkey doesn't stop him. So we had two examples of wealth in this uh, Chumash, Korach and Bilam, both of whom came to disaster because of it. Now in this week's Parsha, the Torah tells us, that the tribes of Reuben and God had enormous amounts of cattle. Now in the ancient world, cattle was wealth. They have all of this cattle. 
uh, the cattle is what they uh, were able to take from uh, the war against Sichon and against Og, and other sources of wealth that they had. They have this enormous amount of wealth. They also miss the point. They also don't get it. So they come to Moshe and they say, you know, we've got all this cattle. And that's the most important thing in our life. Our wealth. So we don't want to go to Israel because here in Transjordan, uh, we have pasture land for our cattle. We can become wealthier than we are. In Eretz Yisrael, that may not be the case. So, don't take us across. We're not ready to go across the River Jordan. Moshe is uh, shocked by the statement. It's abhorrent to him. Moshe, who spends uh, his last year praying to God to be allowed to just go into the land of Israel, and whose uh, blessing was that he was able to see it, at least, from the top of the mountain. He can't understand how a, a person, tribe, two tribes, say, uh, you know, uh, we don't want Eretz Yisrael because our wealth, our investments will do better here uh, in Avar Yardin than they will do in Eretz Yisrael. He can't fathom that. And therefore he answers them harshly. Why should you influence the heart of this people you replaced your forefathers. You're a bad influence on society. You're destructive of the Jewish people. But again, we find that money is a tremendous attraction and that it overcomes many, many times logic even faith and belief. Chazal say, When it comes to one's wealth, the person is out of control. Absolutely out of control. I remember uh, my early days as a lawyer in uh, Chicago. So there was a client that was involved in uh, purchasing a certain business. And uh, I represented this client, but the client, uh, as often is the case, uh, is much more proactive. He thinks the lawyer doesn't do enough for him, so he's going to take the matter into his own hands. Now, he was a very observant Jew. In fact, he was a, uh, a Talmud Chochem. And uh, 
on Friday afternoon, uh, the deal uh, started to fall apart. Naturally, uh, I couldn't do anything about it. But on Monday morning, I called up the other attorney I'm sorry. I called up the other attorney and I said, uh, let's have a meeting and see if we can straighten this out. Hello? I'm on a, I'm on a Zoom now. So uh, he said, okay. Uh, so I went to his office. And he said to me, uh, he said, I, I thought that uh, he was uh, a, a secular Jew. He said, I thought that Orthodox Jews don't use the phone on Shabbat. I said, no, uh, we don't. He said, how come I got a call from your client on Saturday? So I said, ah, what am I supposed to say? except that the deal meant so much to him, that when it comes to one's wealth, someone does things that under ordinary circumstances one would never do. And I never mentioned it to my client because I wanted to get the fee. And eventually he put the deal together, but... Uh, I never, I never saw the person in the same light again. So the Bnei Gode, Bnei Ruvain, Moshe will never see them in the same light again. And therefore, when the compromise is reached, and they say to uh, Moshe, well, we'll go... Uh, as the uh, advance guard, the shock troops, we'll go in the front and we'll stay the whole 14 years until the Jewish people conquer and divide the land. Then we'll go home. So they said to Moshe, we will build sheep coats, um, corrals, barns, to hold our cattle, the Orim Litapenu, and cities for our children. Moshe, when he answered them, reversed it. He said, You've got it wrong. First, you have to build Orim. First, you have to build cities for your children and your wives, for your families. And then you'll build for the sheep. That's a nuance but they didn't understand the nuance either. So to them, their search for wealth also is Osher Shomuro Lebalov, also is negative and destructive. That's not the way you're supposed to view Eretz Yisrael. It's not the way you're supposed to view the Jewish people. And uh, I often feel uh, that that's pretty much uh, 
can't speak for God, but I often feel that that is the intent here, is that Eretz Yisrael is a value unto itself. Now, if Eretz Yisrael had the finest climate in the world, and it had all of the natural resources, and it was uh, as wealthy, you know, like... uh, Kuwait or Bahrain, wherever nobody has to work, the government gives you a million dollars a year to every citizen. So then no one would appreciate Eretz Yisrael. So Eretz Yisrael is made uh, to be a challenge, a hard place, crying adjustment both physically and mentally, and spiritually as well. Because then it has a value. Otherwise, the value is not measured by outside wealth. The value is in itself. Now, we, uh, the whole economic world uh, is based on relative values of currencies. So today, for instance, the American dollar is the reserve currency in the world. There was a time when it was uh, the British pound sterling. But that's a relative value. So all other currencies are measured relative to the dollar. So here we have uh, the Shar Hayatzig, you know, three and a half, three point four, whatever it is. But there's a value beyond the Shar Hayatzig, and the value itself, and that is not measured in wealth. So that was the attitude that Moshe wanted to imply and imprint upon them. Moshe wanted them to understand that wealth is important and we cannot be poor and we have to struggle not to be poor, but that that is not the reserve currency. That's not the end all of life. Because if it is, Look how people sacrifice for uh, their jobs and for uh, never home with their children. In the United States, where people are workaholics or they have to be. So they're gone from six in the morning to midnight. There's a period of time... uh, when uh, you never got to see your children. You got up early to go to the Minion, then you went to, the, to work, you came home late, they were in bed already, and all week long you never saw your children. So uh, there's a price to be paid for that. There always is a price to be paid for that. I remember that when my son was a little boy, I think he was six years old when we moved to Miami. Maybe he was seven. So uh, one of the uh, 
leading members of my congregation in Miami said to him, Chaim, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a rabbi. So he said to him, why? So he said, because he never has to go to work. And there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, uh, I was able to eat lunch with my wife uh, for, uh, for 40 years. You're busy, you're doing, etc. but you know, uh, somehow you're able to have a life. So this concept, which the Torah repeats over and over again here, is meant to impress upon us uh, a relative system of values. The values of family, first, orim divne letapenu, family. And then the idea of Eretz Israel. That's primary. Then we can discuss the other things. But if there is no sense of values, if uh, we're like Bilam or we're like Korach, if the only value that we see is physical wealth, so that is what Shlomo Melech warned us about, Osher Shomuro Labalov. Now we have one more point that I want to mention here. Uh, The Torah tells us that Chatsi Shevet Menashe, half of the tribe of Menashe, also went with the Bnei Gorda, Bnei Ruven in in Transjordan. The Torah does not indicate why they did that. In nowhere does it say that they had a lot of cattle. And why should half the tribe be split? So the Nitziv of Valozhen, Reb Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, in his famous parish, the Hamik Dover, says here a great idea. He says that it was Moshe's idea to send half the tribe. Because Menashe was descended from Yosef. And Yosef loved Eretz Israel. And Yosef told his family to take his bones and bring them back to Eretz Israel. He doesn't want to stay in Egypt. And the children of Yosef were Mechavi Vesoritz. We saw that with the daughters of Slavchot. That's the tribe of Menashe. They said, Loma Nigora, how could it be that we shouldn't have a share in Eretz Israel? So Moshe wanted to give a good influence to the Bnei God and Bnei Ruven. An influence that would teach them the value of Eretz Israel. Uh, an influence that would not be dependent upon their own wealth, because they didn't come with cattle. So therefore, he sent half the Shevet Menashe with the Bnei Gorda, Bnei Ruvain, 
hoping that it would temper their attitude and make them more aware of what the true value of what he wanted to accomplish was and should be. So that's why half the Shevet of Menashe went. The Gemara teaches us that it really didn't help. That when they go to Menashe, the Transjordan people went into exile far earlier than any of the other Jews in the land of Israel, even before the kingdom of Israel went into exile with Sancheret. They couldn't hold their own. Because wealth is uh, transitory. It's not permanent. And uh, because of that, therefore, uh, the, fact, the lack of a permanent value system destroyed them. And Chazal uh, uh, always wonder whether even at the end of days they will come back, will be part of the Jewish people. There are different opinions. So we see here a pattern of what the Torah wants to teach us on a very delicate subject, so to speak. One that there's a lot of gray area. It's not black and white. Everyone has to decide for themselves within their own challenges what the value system is and how it should be pursued and what should be accomplished. And to a great extent, that is, even in our time, the measure of a person. Because we have lived in a time when uh, the Jewish people have acquired wealth as they never have had before, probably since uh, the uh, time of... uh, Yamsuf and Mitzrayim. Jewish people always were poor in the exile, poverty. And poverty was our enemy and it helped destroy Jews. But wealth also destroys. So one has to know how to deal with it. Not to deal with it rationally, and not to, so to speak, be possessed by it. So I think that this is an important lesson from this week's parshas. We conclude the Chumash Bamidbar this week. Chazak, chazak, venis chazak. We should all be strong and well, and somehow this scourge will pass from us, and we'll be able to learn together in shul, face-to-face, unmasked. Be well, everyone. Shabbat shalom, and thank you for listening.